Please stand with me. Please stand with me. Hello? Oh, okay. Please stand with me while I read God's word. Out of Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having the righteousness of, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by means that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you guys can be seated. Thanks very much. All right. Just some uh, light reading today. Uh, this is talking about one of the most profound realities that life has to offer is us experiencing the resurrection of Jesus this life that's indestructible, the awareness and ability to walk through challenges and to not be destroyed by them, but to rather become more alive through them. What a profound thought and idea that we're going to be discussing today. So I'm going to ask you to buckle your seatbelts, get your Bibles ready, okay? Did you bring your Bibles? Okay. Um, Not all the texts are going to be on the screen, so Jake, sorry, Um, but many of them will be. Uh, We need to start today with the focus of what Paul is trying to accomplish in the church to Philippi. So Philippians chapter 1 is oftentimes in a letter, they'll let you know where they're going to go. It's like the table of contents in a book. That's kind of the greeting or the front end of a letter. And then they'll revisit those ideas throughout. And so today we're going to be revisiting one of the lines from chapter 1, where Paul, because of his great love for the church in Philippi, he has a prayer for them. He has a desire to see their lives continue to expand and grow. In verse 9, he says this of chapter 1, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That element where he's saying, I want your love to expand with all discernment. That word discernment is like test. It is analyze. It is put your attention to figure out something. And Paul is saying, I want your love to grow and I want your ability to discern what is truly valuable to become sharpened. Man, we are surrounded by so many options to spend our time, to offer our energy, our attention, our resources. But what is most valuable for us to do with our time, our energy, and what we have been stewarded, or what we've been in charge to steward? When we look at the word that Paul uses here, the diaphoro, or excellent, that you may discern what is excellent, this is the idea that if you find something that is worthy, you would take hold of it, take it to yourself, and carry it with you. This is the idea of discerning something excellent. It is worth holding to yourself. 
and this is Paul's desire, that people in Philippi would know what should you hold to your chest and what should you be willing to set aside. Because if we're holding to our chest things that are transient, temporary, and passing away, our hearts will be broken when they fall to pieces or ashes in our hands because things are not eternal. We are, God is. And so we're trying to already become the kind of people who are interweaving ourselves with that which is eternal. We are a colony of heaven, the eternal community God is already orienting and creating now. So he's like, love one another because you are eternally one. We're going to spend eternity with each other. And so God is trying to cultivate that. Now, we as a community, we don't want to waste our energy. I take stewardship seriously. Stewardship of your finances, the church, the offering. Stewardship of your time. So I I, I work hard to make sure that I'm giving something of substance here. Um, I want to steward your, your, um, just your presence. I want to steward your attention. I want to steward who you are because I don't want to waste your time nor your energy because for me to waste your time is for me to actually subvert what is intended to build the kingdom and waste it. God has given you a limited amount of time, attention, energy, all of that, and I want to make sure that I I, I can help you go, hey, this is not worth my time, but this is. And Paul wanted the same thing for the church in Philippi because they were living in a challenging world. They they were displaced, okay? So most of them were Gentiles coming from uh, pagan worship. Either they worship Caesar as God, so they're part of the Roman occult, Um, And so they would have their own festivals, their own uh, community. They would have their gatherings that that would have helped them feel at home. Or they were, uh, you know, maybe they would have worshipped one of the other gods that would have their own festivals, their own feasts, their own rituals, the things that bound them together, their own identity markers. But when Jesus came and changed their life, all of a sudden they were like, I no longer feel at home worshipping Caesar as God because he is not. Jesus is. And I longer feel at home worshiping this this rock because, man, there is nothing to that stone. There is only truth in Jesus. And so they found themselves without sort of the the public markers. Uh, Christianity at this point in Philippi, under the rule of Rome, was um, it it was seen as a oddity or um, something. It was almost like an alien group where people looked at it with suspicion. To be in Rome, there could be many different religions. They had a pantheon of gods. But if you were a religion within the Roman uh, world that they oversaw, they, uh, they forced you to conform. They would defang the religions to fit among the many. And so they would add just another god. Okay, Judaism, yeah, you can, you can exist, but you need to do so under our hand and authority. So Judaism had a place in society. They were a recognized religion. So in Philippi, you could have more respect if you associated yourself with the uh, ritual group of Caesar worship, or you could find more respect or your place and position and benefits if you even assumed and said, you know what, I'm going to identify as a Jew. I'm going to identify as a Hebrew, and I'm going to say, you know what, hey, hey, I want to have the rights that the Hebrews have. And there was a temptation for them to do so, because to be a part of a a registered, um, a certified religion gave you tax breaks. It gave you the freedom to practice as you wanted to. It gave you a lot of uh, social benefits. It gave you a place to belong. And so these people in Philippi, they're in the middle. They don't belong anywhere. And when I think about the last three years, many of us, we, we, felt, we felt like we were in the middle. We don't belong anywhere. I'm not like them, and I'm not like them. and I don't, I'm not willing to to fully dump, jump in here. I can see that there's values here and there, and then I don't feel like I can go anywhere. And that it can be a very fragile space. How many of you guys felt fragile when the world was so divided and continues to be divided? You're like, well, who is my community? Who's got my back? And the temptation is to go, oh, no, I'm with you because I don't want to receive hate from you. 
And, and we, we could get into virtue signaling, right? Where, where you're like, I, I don't want to be associated with those folks, and so what do I need to say so people know that I'm not X, Y, or Z? Am I, am I talking to anybody here? And so there are these identity markers that we can be tempted to go, I'm a believer in Jesus, and it would be so much easier if I just appeased this tribe so that I, I cannot, so that I'm able to just fit in people's minds. So I don't have to, to nuance everything because that's hard and difficult and challenging. I just want to, I just, I want to ease my way into a place in society because it's hard to be in the middle. You're exposed to the wind and resistance when you're not identifying with the established tribes of this age. Amen? This is Philippi. Now, in Philippi, like I said, Paul went and he expressed the gospel of Jesus Christ. People came to Christ, they gave their life to him, and they found freedom from their old passions, so they no longer were living under the, the, the um, unpredictability of their pagan gods. A lot of them felt like they had to appease their god in order for their god to give them favor, and if they didn't appease their god, then judgment would come, and so it was this dependency, this transactional slavery to whatever god it was that they were worshiping. In the same way, if you were Jewish in this time, you would have had to follow 613 different laws to, to coincide with that community. And so there were practices or different ways of living in the world, but then Jesus shows up and he breaks the system. And Paul's like, hey, you know what? Jesus has fulfilled the law, therefore you don't have to live a life of... of, of, of um, you don't have to live a life of restriction in the same way. There is a freedom that has come. And I think many of us, we need to wrestle with, with what those freedoms offer us. When it comes to our faith, what do we add to Jesus? When it comes to our practice, what do we incorporate as essential? As a church, we say we want, to, uh, we want to set aside the unnecessary in pursuit of the indispensable. What is indispensable? Well, for some, in the time of Paul and Philippi, there was a group of Christians um, who were Pharisees still. So they, they, they believed in Jesus, but then they're also like, but I'm still a Pharisee, and so I still want to follow the Mosaic Law. I'm going to be a Christian. Yeah, okay, Jesus, he's the fulfillment of Messiah, but I'm still not going to eat with Gentiles. I'm still going to dress in the garb that's described to me. I'm still going to practice Sabbath very strictly. I'm still going to um, circumcise my children because I want people and society to know that we are the family of God. And these people would be really tenacious about it. It's almost like we, we, we have this elitist perspective on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and they would likely travel to different areas trying to force Gentiles to become Jews as they became Christians. Does that make sense? Some scholars have talked about this in terms of double uh, conversion, where you had to be converted to Judaism and converted to Jesus to be legitimate in their mind and eye. And so, if you were going to lead your neighbor to Christ, that would have been a little bit more complex, you know? Because you're not, you're not just telling them, like, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is king, and we have to go to the bathroom and cut some stuff. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a rough ask, okay? That's a rough ask. But this is what they were bringing to the table. So Paul is not having it. Because in 50 A.D., um, John and I were at a conference this last week, and we were sitting under the teaching of Dr. Uh, Gerald Sitzer, and he's a historian. He talks about how the significance of 50 A.D., that is the moment in Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas are getting in trouble because as missionaries, they're going outside of the Jewish. Now, until 50 A.D., you had most Christians were from Jewish history, if not all. And so the culture of the church was Judaism until 50 AD when Paul and Barnabas were like, 
but we're in Philippi and like people are coming to Jesus and like the spirit is moving on them and it looks nothing like Judaism, but the spirit of Jesus is bringing freedom in the same way he is among the Jews, only it looks different. And so Paul being determined not to force a burden upon the new Gentile converts, he advocates for them. And so, I mean, I'll I'll read from Acts 15, where this conversation takes place. You don't need to flip there, necessarily. Acts 15, 5, but some Believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. This is when they come together. They bring all the leaders together, and Peter speaks up and says in verse 10, Now therefore, um, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that is the Gentile disciples, saying they had to obey the law, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Isn't that such a compassionate moment? Where Peter is like, why, why would we, who have been crushed by the law, who are reminded daily that we are unable to fulfill the law, why would we expect and put that on them? That's not good news. And so they made a judgment at that time that double baptism is not necessary. And they made it very, uh, uh, very clear. They sent out a letter to different churches saying, hey, you don't need to become a Jew to become a Christian. And this is great news for you and me. Because we would be dressed a lot different if we had to be Jews as well as Christians. Our worship services would look different. And this is where our complex moment arises, where we see that culture or uh, yeah culture of a community we won't we don't want it to become associated with the culture of jesus and we get in trouble when we go we are christians plus we are we are christians plus um patriot We are Christians plus um, progressive. We are Christians plus you name it. Because it's so tempting for us to, to insert a culture that is not of Jesus in some ways and, and assume that it's all the same and, it, and it's just not. Paul was not willing to allow the identity markers of Israel to be confused with the identity markers of Jesus. And this is the work we're after. Because there are some identity markers in the Western church that do not look like Jesus. They they look like the American dream and they are markers of abundance, uh, materialism. They are markers of the spirit of the world more than they are of Jesus. And so that for us is like we we are setting aside the unnecessary and at times harmful markers. We're resisting the urge to fit in, look normal. Man, it'll be so much easier for you guys to go to a normal church and not some weird church with some sparrow sign with like birds on it. Is it a cult? Like what's going on there? Like where's the cross? Like it'd be so much easier if you went to a, a mainline church. You know, we're Baptists. We're, we're, we're Methodists of something that's identifiable, but rather you're like, no, I'm part of this community of people that just love Jesus and we're doing our best to walk out, love God, love others. Wait, what? Do you do X? Do you do Y? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do that? Do you offer this? Do you offer that? We just follow Jesus. We're trying our best to make sure that the tradition of man isn't confused with the teaching of God. So Paul says, watch out, Philippians. That was quite the intro. Wait, you're like, what? Introduction? Oh, no. Oh, no. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is verse 1 of chapter 3 of Philippians. 
to write you the same things to you is no trouble for me, but it's safe for you. That language he's using there is saying, like, rejoice in Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Boast in Jesus. Look, you have a lot of things around you. Life is difficult, but rejoice in Jesus. Allow Jesus, the fact that he died for you, rose from the dead for you, that his righteousness has been apportioned to you. Meditate on Jesus and what you have received in Jesus because the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's why he says stand fast as we move into chapter 4. So something about having Jesus as the center of our meditation, the very center of our life, the thing that that we wake up thinking about, the thing that primarily uh, lays a shadow upon all of my moments, it's a filter to my work week. It is something that influences and has a sway upon how I interact with everything in my life. To do so is to invite resurrection life into my reality. It is to live beyond the confines of the here and now. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who would mutilate the flesh. He's talking about these pharisaical Christians who come in and say, you have to do, yes, okay, great, yes, you're not going to hell. You love Jesus. Okay, but you need to do X. Y, Z, your worship needs to look like this. You need to affirm this. You need to have this idealism. You have, to, you have to come and support. You have to do this. You have to not do these things. And really what's coming into the space is culture, preference, interpretation. And Paul's like, no, no, no. There, there will be one former of our culture. It is the person and work of Jesus. If Jesus is the culture that we hold to, we will look like him to the world. But if we create a culture that looks nothing like Jesus, we cease to be good news to the world. Because the very heart and culture of Jesus is life and peace. Look out for the dogs. I love that Paul uses this reference. Um, He's talking about these Judaizers. And um, really, if you were to be in a Roman city at this point, um, Philippi included, many houses had a little placard above the door or beside it. Um, I'm going to botch the pronunciation, but it's like Cave Canaan. Cave Canaan means beware of dog or something similar to that. It's like, there's a guard dog in here, and he's going to guard my space, and you better watch out. This is what Paul is referencing to as the Judaizers. They're like a guard dog for orthodoxy. They're a gatekeeper to what is approved, but it's not approved based upon the New Testament teachings of Jesus. It's based upon their own preference, their comforts. I don't know about you, but there are some things that Jesus is okay with that make me uncomfortable. There's some weird stories in Scripture and in the New Testament that I'm like, huh? Really? Okay. That's a good thing. Because it means we are not in control. We're not fine-tuning a community and a space that just suits us because that's just consumerism with a label of Christianity. We want Jesus among us. We want Jesus who is like an unapproachable fire, the thing that, that melts away that which is worthless and refines that which is priceless. We want the Spirit of God with us that, that, that looks through bone and marrow. It can divide our heart. It can transform our lives. We want the, the Father of all glory to lean down low and lift us up as His children. We want a, a God that is uncontrollable, a place where, where it is dangerous to be, yet it is the only place to find hope and peace because of the goodness of our God. Do we, do we want... Do we want the culture of Christianity or do we want Jesus? Do we want nice? Do we want attractive? Do we want respectable? Or do we want faithfulness? Do we want a church that that makes us feel better because we're a part of it? That makes us feel elevated like, oh, that adds to my, yeah, I'm I'm part of that church. I've gone to churches for that reason. 
One of the earliest churches we went to was a mega church. Oh, wow, look at those people, look at those cars they're driving. Oh, okay, I can, that, that looks like Christianity I want. I'll, I'll get some of that action. Do you know what I mean? It's easy. Do we want that? Which really, we're, I was just looking for satisfaction in this life, looking for status, looking for something, credentials to make myself feel like, man, I, I matter. But Paul, man, when he looks and goes, yeah, I spent my life building credentials. You think that you have confidence in the flesh? I have more. Everything that these Judaizers or otherwise known as Pharisaical Christians are trying to sell you, I had, and it sucked. I love it when stars are honest and they go, you know what, I had it all, all the money, all the fame, and I've never been more miserable. It's so honest and true because this world cannot satisfy our deepest needs. Paul says, don't be fooled. Don't be tempted, even though it will be easier for you to align yourself with something safe, established, acknowledged, honored, instead of just holding tight to me. You see, the, the Pharisaical Christians, they were trying to tell the, the Gentile believers, this is what's valuable. This is what's worth grabbing hold of. Join us. But Paul will not have it. Verse 3. These people, they think that they're in. Circumcision is a marker of family. So as a marker of being a part of the family of God, you would circumcise your child, ideally on the eighth day after they were born. And... Um, that was just a sign that you were family. Now Paul goes right at the jugular. Not only does he call them dogs, these guys who are hoity-toity Christians, so like, yeah, we, we have it all figured out. Um, they walk like this. Um, they, uh, they, they are evildoers, which is another reference for masqueraders. They're deceivers. They're pretending. Um, and they are mutilators of the flesh. No description necessary um, for that one. He then goes on to say, you think you're the circumcision. You think you're the family of God. No, we are the circumcision. We. Paul uses this language of, listen, I'm with you. We're separated. It's costly. I'm in prison because I am part of the circumcision. So are you. Now, what that means is um, when the term for circumcision was developed in the New Testament, it is not necessarily a, a fleshly mark that makes a member of the family, but a internal mark, which is of the heart. So it's literally like the stripping away of the heart of stone, and a heart of flesh is given. It's it's the it's it's a heart that is soft and malleable. It is sensitive. It has the flesh cut away so that our hearts are exposed. He's like, we are that. We're not functioning in this world with hardness of heart that forces me to have rules about how to love God in every detail of my life. How many steps can I go on Sabbath to honor God? We don't have hard hearts that need 613 rules to love our God because our hearts have been made new. And this is what should be normative for you and I. Is that we don't need God to be like, this is what you need to do here, 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 here. But some of us long for that because we don't want to get it wrong. And people will pray on that. Like, oh, no, I'll tell you what to do. I'll give you something to follow. And for some of you, that's what you prefer. It's scary that Jesus is like, you know what? No. I'm not going to allow the, the law to become another um, master to you. Paul pushes back when he talks to the church in Galatian, to the church in Galatia about the same issue. I think we have that reference, don't we? Uh, Galatians 5, I think it is. Where he says, um, let's jump down. Sorry, verse 1. Thank you. 
For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's talking about the old way of following God. You need to guard yourself. Especially if you're the type of person that likes black and white. The gray is scary. You know what? Because of the grace of Jesus, we are called to boldly live towards the world, boldly love God and others, boldly pursue what we are being called to, not for fear that we're going to mess up and fall out of God's favor, but out of confidence and freedom. That, that the heart that he's brought to life, as we focus on Jesus, he is going to cultivate within us an intimate relationship that we would know him and we would know the power of him as we walk out our calling in this world. Well, that's scary, David. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Look at the story of the church throughout history. It's like herding cats. Like everybody following what God is doing in their life, the spirit that is uncontainable, the spirit that we're like, yeah, we can kind of feel it coming, but we don't see where it's going. Uh, uh, but, but the spirit of God is at work within you and in you, and he's speaking, and the word is coming to life. And, and, and we're supposed to, to find a way to, to be all carried along, unified in one body, in one mind, focusing on the essentials holding fast to what is true, fighting enslavement. That would love to cuff your ankle when the Spirit is making you run. And some of the things that you've heard in the past, pastors or others, and I pray I haven't, have used Scripture, and it has created a lock on your ankle that Scripture does not demand. That they've applied Old Testament in a way that would push against the work of Jesus. And so I need to invite you, encourage you, call you to be very on guard, to discern, is this truly significant or is this slavery? Is this the spirit or is it slavery? Let's keep going. Sound good? Okay. Uh, Yes, watch out for them. They are baddies. Um, We are the circumcision. Moving on to the next statement. Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Shortly put, our confidence is in Jesus. Our credential is not in our upbringing. It is not in our nationality. It is not in our pedigree. It is not in our elite culture. It is not in um, our, our zeal to be uh, uh, aggressive towards opponents. I'm talking about all the things Paul's talking about. Our credentials, what we find such hope in, they have to find a place where they don't enslave us, where they don't become a source of savor. So for Paul, he says this. Yeah, you may have reason to boast in the flesh. I myself have reason for confidence, as verse 4, in the flesh. If you think you do, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, so his upbringing was pristine. Uh, He was of the people of Israel. His nation was worthy of his pride. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was known as the most faithful of the tribes. He was the only child who was born in um, uh, the promised land itself, Benjamin, of all the 12 sons. And so there was a a certain pride, or you could be like, I don't know, from the tribe of Benjamin, you know. But it's just ancient tribalism. Uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, he not only was uh, a Jew, but he was a real Jew. You know, not one of those fake Jews, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, eat bacon on Saturdays, Jew. Not one of those. He was not only uh, brought up in Tarsus, but his family brought him to Jerusalem, where he was um, mentored and taught up by one of the most elite rabbis of his day. 
He's like, I'm a he rule, bro. That was good. <sighs> Spoke the language fluently. He's like, listen, I got it all. And he kept going, da, 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 right? There are things in our life where we're going to be tempted to go, man, I am going to hold this thing. Man, I've worked for me. I worked my tail off to become licensed as a pastor. So I'm excited to license John. And he's worked his tail off. Not because I wanted power or authority, but because it has been my calling to shepherd people. And so after a long period of time of doing ministry and being an intern and stacking a lot of chairs and praying, you know, all this stuff, I finally became a licensed pastor and then eventually a reverend, all that. Those things have the temptation for me to become my credentials that make me go, I'm legit. Like, I have purpose. Like, what are your credentials? Did you almost win state in high school? Uh, have, thank you. Uh, do you have, like, a, a house? Is your house your credential? Is your car your credential? What are the markers where you take confidence? They bring you some savor. Where do you go when you are lacking or empty to be filled up? Because we can kind of go to like, oh, I'm going to look at my resume when I'm feeling boned about myself. So-and-so got a promotion. I didn't. Well, let me look at my, my resume. What school did they go to? What? No. Hey, what? What do you go to to find nourishment when you are lacking? Paul says, man, I used to find nourishment in all of my credentials. And yet when I came to know Jesus, what once was so precious to me, like a Nokia phone, cell phone, right? A brick. Remember that day when it was so precious? Wow, you got a cell phone? Yeah, bro. Nokia, snake on here, no big deal. You text me? What? What's that? Right? Nokia to iPhone, whatever's coming out now, 20, 50, I don't know. What once was precious when you, in, uh, when you come into the real thing becomes so dismissible. And friends, I take nothing away from the accomplishments you have the hard work you've put into establishing and creating a life, Jesus is not against that at all. But Paul would say, please, run to Jesus, taste Jesus, see Jesus. When Jesus comes to your life and he places his hand upon the, the status symbol or the marker of your success or that which you savor in, if you are nervous when he puts his hand on it, don't be. Because, man, every time God has replaced something that I've found joy in, and that's what it is, it's a replacement. Some of you, you're very proud of where you're from. It's great to be a part of something strong, well-known, powerful. And, and that can cause us to, to gain some joy at times. But Jesus is really going like, but well, you are a citizen of heaven more than you are a citizen of this state, this nation. And there is more joy to be found and more satisfaction and more eternal richness that you will experience in the exchange where you start to think of yourself less as whatever that is and more in what Jesus has brought into your life. This is how we experience resurrection life. We've all got credentials in our life and some of them are very um, nice. But Jesus is trying to cultivate within us a, a homing of our hearts in him rather than in the trappings of this world. Is that an easy word to hear? It's challenging for me. All right, Paul keeps going. Uh, we're going to jump to, yeah, blameless. Verse 7, whatever gain I had, 
I counted it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and to be counted to him, count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Christ. The Pharisaical Christians wanted the converts to have something to show that would be identifiable. And for them, it was not just circumcision, but it was the whole law, 613 different rules. Okay? Um, now, if we were to say, okay, just tell me what I need to do so that I can be confident before God, like we're good. Paul said, as to the law, its requirements, I've, I've lived in right relationship to the law. That's amazing. Like he didn't fail at the law. It doesn't mean perfect. It meant that as to its requirements, he lived according to it and he relied upon the offerings when he failed. So Paul was the epitome of believer before Jesus came. And he's making a comparison between this massive list of list keeping to the simplicity of knowing Jesus. Okay, so if we were to take 613 rules and we were to give each law one inch on this paper, do you know how far this paper would stretch? One inch per rule. Okay, one inch. Wow, right? Isn't that crazy? Let's keep going. So this is from five books of the Bible, the Torah. there and let's be specific fifty one feet of law that you would have to fulfill and Paul is like this is the record of my goodness. This is what he could bring before God to say, I've done everything you've asked me to. Perfect? No. But that's what the rituals are for, right, God? Paul says, but whatever I counted as gain, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. This rubbish. All this, all the sacrifice, all the self-control, all the telling yourself no, all the hard work. You know what? The law can tell you how to live in relationship with God, but it cannot give you the power to do so. It will only bring death. And so Paul, even though he had all the signs of life, was dead apart from God. And he says, I count this as rubbish. Another word for it is table scraps. Um, dogs, interestingly enough, would get, be fed by table scraps. And so Paul is literally saying, 
all this, that was great. It's not bad, but really, it's for the dog. I'm gonna let them chew on this. And some people get really passionate about this. Have you seen a dog when you throw him some gristle? Oh, my bulldog, oh Lord, my, oh, it is heaven. And he's just chowing on that sucker. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there with the steak. Paul says, I count it as gristle because I'm eating the steak. Who is Jesus? The simplicity of knowing and loving him and receiving his righteousness. So not only is Jesus the stake to the law's gristle or table scraps, this word uh, rubbish can also be utilized in the language of uh, refuse or poopy. No? Nothing? Your boys aren't listening? Come on. You just said poopy. Come on. Can we cut that out of the audio, please? Uh, <laughs> refuse. And in this, Paul is basically saying, I once lived obsessed, sought, searching to be nourished. And it was not able to nourish my soul. So the law becomes this thing that passes through that is no longer able to offer nourishment to the soul. There are some things that you and I do, whether they're from uh, old pagan, or sorry, old legalistic systems that we need to go, you know what? Some people care about that. I'm not going to care about that. Some people are going to obsess about what, what translation of the Bible to use, uh, what, what songs you sing, uh, you name it. That's not for me to chew on. Leave it to the dogs. Go for it. I'm gorging on the stake of Jesus. Some of us have things in our life, and, and uh, there, there's both the paganism, where we incorporate like the hedonistic lifestyle, where, where we believe that we should be satisfied at whatever cost. You know, that, that's just another manifestation of, of God worship in our own culture. It's the God of the stomach. It's the God of the self. There are some things that we have practiced and brought into our Christianity. We've lumped in like some things from pagan culture that are no longer sad. Like they are not nourishing our souls. And we just need to be like refuse. I'm going to count it as loss. I'm going to cut it out of my life. Because it's not giving me nourishment anymore. Or it never was. And I'm coming alive in Jesus. There are things in our, um, even our practices, some, some of us have some habits or things that have been imprinted on us, or, uh, um, and, and we're, we're walking them out, but we're like, this is empty, this is not life-giving, this is taking from me, this is not giving to me. Is this really essential? Is your pace of life, is your uh, addiction to, to, to running fast, being in control, whatever it may be, or sloth, are those things actually offering substance to your life? Because Paul is like, my prayer for you is that you be able to discern what is worth pulling in close, and you would be able to discern what to push away as unessential. And there's so much depth to this passage. I could continue to go, but I, I need to stop at this point. And, and kind of just draw our, our conversation to a little bit of a close by reflecting on, on Paul's words here to end us out. Indeed, I count everything as a loss. Not because it's worthless, but because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not with the righteousness of my own that comes through the law. 
but with that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus, um, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from Paul has tapped into something of superior worth that's invisible, unlike this. But he's like this. It's nothing. It can't serve me how the world has said it will. In fact, it's left me empty, and I count it as what it is, which is garbage. And I'm setting aside my focus and fixation on the things that do not matter. And my heart I'm giving to Jesus alone. Because life is found not in obsessing of, about my credentials nor my uh, fitness for uh, God or the world. The one thing that is worth holding tight to is Jesus and allowing him, his life, to be my all. Even if that means me suffering with him as long as I'm with him, as long as his resurrection power gives me strength to endure the hardship of suffering with Jesus. That's all I care about. And I long for the day that like Jesus was raised from the dead, I too will be raised with him. And we'll talk about that next week. Okay? Okay. That was a little bit longer. I apologize. Um, why don't we take a second? Um, I think it's quite beautiful that we have our communion table here centrally. So we don't really need to do all this to get to this, which is symbolic of Jesus and his death in our place. All right, first question. Johnny, come on up. Uh, how did you all feel when that was getting unrolled? Talk to me about some of the... When I saw it, I was like, oh, like it shook me. You can make a killing. I know a girl who knows how to write stuff. Wow. Are we about to make some money? I mean, there's still, there's not many um, Orthodox Jews, but there are still some. Yeah. Oh. Other thoughts? It's crazy to think that we had to memorize it. Yeah. That is in and of itself. Yep. And then how to follow it. That I just don't think. Well, that's where you got the different rules of rabbis. Different rabbis would be like, oh, you follow it in this way. So there's different interpretations. So the Mishnah is one of the interpretations of the 613. And so it was basically another book about a book and added even more rules. Well, I don't know if I need the microphone for this, but as it was going, I was thinking, I'm doomed. And then it kept going, I give up already. And then as it went, what was the other thought I had? There's no way. Yeah. It made me think about in today's day and age when mental health is such a, a, a big thing and just that level of anxiety that we have in our culture today. And I don't know what it was like back then. I don't know what the Pharisees and, and, and how their mental health was, but there obviously was not this um, communication of freedom 
it doesn't seem like when you're always hung up on whether you're good enough, whether you meet standards, whether you're actually loved unconditionally. Yeah. No, it's, it was everything was based on a condition, and um, I just see how it, though they made it look like that this is that this worked and that this gave freedom but knowing human biology and how we just think when we don't feel like we measure up i just there's there's no freedom in in life and so that's what came to mind when you just when you were about right there right yeah well i think that's what paul talks about even if it's not just about if you trust in anything apart from Jesus he's like okay you want to you want to incorporate um, so it's Jesus plus circumcision well it's not just circumcision if you're going to take one thing and add it to Jesus you got to do it all and so you departed and we'll talk about that in the future of, of the faith if you're trusting in something else besides Jesus and so it's a return to slavery Yeah. I was thinking, uh, you know, the Western Christian Church. Oh, you know, the Westernized Christian Church, especially. Um, I wear fancy clothes to church. I don't cuss. I don't listen to this kind of music. I don't, you know. And it was like that's the same kind of thing that they've adopted. You know, mm -hmm. I'm good. I'm good with God because I, I fit into this, you know, mold. It just causes shame, you know? <laughs> yeah. What, what I do want to nuance really quick, because uh, we, could, we could take this and go, doesn't matter what we do. Uh, and that's, that's not a heart that's actually been born again of Christ. Um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, actually we have this verse, can you throw it up there, verse, uh, chapter 5 of, of Luke, uh, Matthew. Jesus says about the law, all right. On it, Mark. Come on, baby. All right. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Wait, what? Or the prophets. For I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. And then he goes in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds those of the scribes and Pharisees. What is it? You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Whoa, this just got more complex, right? But if we were to follow that thought out until we fulfill the law and prophets. So God wants goodness. He wants our love. He wants our vibrant life. He has 613 rules for how to relate to him and others because he wants us to be a people of love, love towards God and others. And it took the law because the law mediated relationship. It's what stood between us and God so that we knew the rules and the practicalities of like, how do I approach a holy God when I'm not holy? And he's like, here, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of create this way towards me and I'll make some rules so that you don't mistreat others. But it didn't have the power to make us a people of love because our hearts were stones. But Jesus says in uh, Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Why are you saying that? For this is the law and the prophets. All of this, so complex. And Jesus is like, listen, I now am the one who stands between you and the Father. And my ability to carry and accept and and like hold your hand to the hand of the Father is so resilient, is unbreakable. So you don't need to worry that because you do something slightly off that I'm going to let go. Because he's given us his spirit. Um, yeah, so that, that mediator role is, is important. Jesus becomes that. But like Jesus said, I didn't come that to abolish the law, but I came that the law would be fulfilled. The law being fulfilled is me 
in you, becoming a people of love towards God, love towards others in every setting possible. Simplicity, yet profound living through the Spirit. Sorry, that was... I don't know where to go from there. Does that trigger any thoughts? Or should we wind down? Is that a hand back there? Royal? No, 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 no. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I know it's only your second week here. I should never call you out in the middle of the service. Does anybody have any observation? What do we sense that God is making clear today? What are you hearing God say? I think for me it's that um, he is he is the law, and so he in his fulfillment of that, in my relationship with him, I have the freedom to enjoy relationship with him and God, and that it's not by my works or my trying harder, but it's by my surrendering into into a love relationship with him. When I married Mark, I signed a piece of paper and said I would forever be committed to him. But it's my love for him that keeps me in relationship with him. And I think it's the same thing with God. Beautiful. Thank you. What else are we hearing? Anything else before? and this is what they see and I think it's really hard for them to say I want to be a part of that because I have to give up and do this and they don't realize that when they are coming into a relationship with Jesus God's going to show them those things in their life that they can give up in surrender like Kathy said to love him but this is what they see because this is what a lot of us are following and so it's really hard to be different to the world when this is kind of the tradition that we grew up in. So true. The crazy paradigm, friends, is, and I know we're running over, this outward sign of belonging to, to Yahweh is what the world saw and it's what they, they believe rules. The life that has brought, um, the life that has been brought to, to life in Jesus, so us, filled with the Spirit, we are to produce lives that actually have the same intentionality, only it's a freedom, a, an expression of love, not law. Do you know what I mean? Like a million things in my life moments that I want to be going, God, I love you. I want to be conformed to you. I want to offer this to you. What if we were manifesting the fruit of the Spirit to the same degree that the hypocritical ancients and presence manifest law? Do you know what I mean? What if we manifest grace as frequently as, as that was represented? Man, that'd be testimony. Okay. All right. Let's leave it there. John, help move us forward into a time of worship, please. That would be so great. Um, whether or not you want to put yourself in a uh, posture of surrender or um, posture of laying things down, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about certain things that maybe you've held as law over Christ, I'd encourage you to set those down as we begin to enter into worship. As you've done that, uh, the table is open. 
remember his body that was broken for you, his blood that was shed on your behalf, to wash away your sin, to eradicate the void that separated you and him from being able to be in communion together. As you've laid those things down, you've taken communion, I encourage you, let your spirit have some freedom in worship. It's okay to sing. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to clap. It's okay to use your body to worship him, to engage with him. It's encouraged. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us this freedom. This freedom in you. That we don't have to have this laundry list of laws that we have to keep in order to actually come and enter into your presence. Things to do in order to wipe ourselves clean of sin. Lord, you did it. You did all of it. You did the work. And Father, help us to see that, to realize that be able to enter into your presence knowing that we have freedom because of the blood of your son, the body that was broken for us. Bring to those things uh, to the forefront of our minds in which we've held as law above you, Jesus. And may we set those down and lay those aside knowing that as we pursue you, you give us a new nature to not desire to sin, but then also not desire to do the explora- uh, exploratives, Father, in conjunction with you. But it's all about you. It all focuses and hinges on you. And that there's freedom in there. Help our people to just worship you, to engage with you, and to see a glimpse of you. We love you so much. Amen.